0: Well, Gonzaga has expressed interest in six foot nine stretch for Christian Nitu out of Canada. Could he be the next in a long line of outstanding Canadian players coming to Spokane? You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook partner of the Locked On Podcast Network. Make every moment more by visiting fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. I am thrilled to be joined today by locked on recruiting insider Jason Jordan. Jason, it sounds like Gonzaga has their eyes on another Canadian forward this time, Christian Nitu, a six foot nine forward. He recently picked up an offer from Illinois. He's been getting interest from a, a lot of pretty high profile programs. Creighton's involved, TCU's involved, Mississippi State's involved. Uh, but as we know, Gonzaga's got a pretty strong pipeline in Canada. Kelly Olinick is a big one. Of course, Kevin Pangos is a big one. Andrew Nemphart yeah. kind of came th- from Canada via a few other routes, a uh, similar situation for uh, Kyle Wiltshire, a handful of other guys. But I'm curious what you can tell me about this this kid's game and kind of how it might fit in Spokane and then maybe a little bit about how his recruitment has been going.
1: Yeah, so I, I really like him. Fiery competitor is the first thing that jumps out at me. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, you know, most guys uh, – I won't say most, but a lot of guys from over there and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, overseas players, not their mm-hmm. overseas, overseas players and pe- right. players that are not from this country. <laughs> mm-hmm. They don't, they're not as co- They don't exude confidence mm-hmm. by and large. Um, like, but he does like, mm-hmm. he knows he's good, mm-hmm. you know, six, nine knockdown shooter. But I think, you know, he can get to the cup. He does a lot of different things. Well, I think the thing that I like about him the most is he's, he's got an offensive awareness, meaning he's, um, You know, he can get down in the middle part. You can play him at the high post. He's very dangerous in the high post um, because he makes the right basketball play. He reads the defense really well, passes out of double teams really well, and he finds shooters. Um, So I think that's the thing that – what coaches have told me that, you know, Mm -hmm. imagine him at the high post. Like, what are they going to – what would you do about that? You Mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Um, So I think that's what's got most coaches licking their chops with him. But I think, as far as his recruitment, um, mm-hmm. I think you probably got a decent ways to go yeah. uh, with that. Just with him starting to pick up bigger offers, and mm-hmm. uh, I think that will continue into the spring. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's a little ways to go with that. Everybody that I've talked to from Canada thinks he's the next big thing, mm-hmm. um, and they feel like it could it could play out a little bit.
0: Yeah, I, I saw I I know Creighton was was pretty early in on him and he kind of yeah. talked about some of the recruitment with them and how they're interested in potentially having him, you know, play two through four, one through four, even like you, you can tell from some yeah. of the quotes that, that he said that like, he's interested in, he doesn't want to just be a five. Like he may, he, I think right. he said that directly. Like, I don't want to play the five. I want to play, right. I, I want to play a more versatile game. I want to kind of be able to do more things. And I think about Gonzaga and what they've kind of done with some of their players. And you can see how that might fit. I mean, obviously Kelly Olynyk and Kyle Wilcher are going to get some comps here because they're also Canadians, um, but Kyle Wilcher was was obviously a guy who was very clearly a stretch for. He was not. He was yeah. a fine low post player, but he was more of a weapon outside. And Kelly Olynyk kind of had both elements to his game as well. So you mentioned the high post, and Gonzaga has has operated out of the high post. They did a lot with Kelly in particular. Uh, do you kind of see how that could fit into what Gonzaga tries to do offensively? Does that seem like something where where he is the yeah. kind of player who might fit in Mark offense?
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely, mm-hmm. and, and to his point, I mean, he doesn't mm-hmm. want to be a center and be get basically typecast because he shouldn't yeah. be typecast. He does right. a lot of different things well on both ends of the floor, and that starts with his motor. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said from the beginning, just firing. He's he's yeah. a guy who's screaming after every play, whether it's a layup or a, a dunk. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he definitely has all the tools, whether um, be it high post or floating on the perimeter, knocking down mm-hmm. shots. But in you guys' offense, I definitely think that he'd be. Uh, major successful because it it fits what he does well in a lot of different ways
0: well I want to switch gears on you Jason I want to talk about another school in the WCC who just landed the highest recruit in their history uh, at least in the modern recruiting rankings that is the San Diego Torero Steve Lavin Mm -hmm. going out and landing Kevin Patton a six foot six wing out of California he was I think he was like 125 Fifth or so uh, yeah. in some of the rankings I saw. I saw he was one of the highest-rated uh, com- non-commits in the class of 2023. Of course, behind Bronny James and I think a few other guys. But he was he was one of the top guys that was still on the board. Yeah. And, and this is a big hit for for Steve Lavin. And when he came yeah. in and took over that job, you know, I think the the conversation was he's probably going to be able to get guys. He's probably going to be able to recruit. He's going to be able to get talent. Can he kind of translate that into success on the court? And we haven't seen it yet, but you got to give him more than a half of a season, but being able to land a kid like this strikes me as, as a move that indicates that, that Lavin is, is is here to compete and really potentially move up in the standings in the, uh, in the WCC. What do you think about this kid and this move by, by coach Lavin?
1: Yeah, I love it. Six, seven, really bouncy um, athlete, but he can knock down shots too from the perimeter. So, He's got a lot of tools that will be Mm -hmm. able to be interchangeable in his offense um, Mm -hmm. for sure. So he's a guy that's going to bring wild plays and he's going to get fans excited. And and that's, you need all of that, especially being in his position, new coach, Mm -hmm. uh, trying to ramp up uh, support and energy. So it's great to get a guy who can bring that kind of energy on the court. Mm -hmm. Um, And Steve Lavin, you know, I think everybody knows that he's going to get players Yeah, and it's just, him showing that he's going to get players, yep. you know, it's just, I think this is the tip of the iceberg and mm-hmm. I definitely think that um, he'll get higher ranked players from here.
0: Well, Jason, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Always good to get your recruiting insights. i uh, very yep. excited about uh, continuing to have those conversations. And, and as we get into the rest of the season and the off season and, and see more recruiting news, I'm excited to get those opportunities. So thank you again.
1: Oh, man, I was always glad to be here. Always glad to be here.
0: Well, Joe Lenardi updated his bracketology after Gonzaga's lost to St. Mary's. How much did it impact Mark Few's team? And can they move the needle again between now and Selection Sunday? More on that. But after a word from today's sponsor, Bilt Bar. If you're looking for a delicious treat, but you don't want all the fat and calories, then you've got to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays. And I know my goal is to eat a little bit healthier this year. If you're like me where you want to eat healthier, but you don't want to compromise taste, then man, I've got just the thing for you. You've got to try Built. With Built, healthy is actually tasty. Seriously, they're so delicious. You won't even think that they're good for you. They're perfect for your New Year's resolution. What makes Built Bars so good? Well, for starters, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. And they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, and coconut almond. I'm not sure how Bilt does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. They have 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait around to get a box for years. We've been talking about ordering your Bilt Bars at Bilt.com. Now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today, walk to the pharmacy section, and grab yourself a box of Bilt Bars. You can pick up a 4-bar box of cookies and cream double chocolate or coconut puffs at your nearest Walmart or Sam's Club today. All right, segment two, still in Patton, still locked on Zags. I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. For your second listen today, check out the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, it's hosted by myself, my co host, Isaac Shade of Locked On Tar Heels, five days a week bringing you all of the biggest stories across the College Hoops landscape. We're less than a month out from Selection Sunday and March Madness. We are almost there. It is a great time to take a look at the Locked On College Basketball show. Speaking of March Madness, speaking of bracketology, that's what I want to talk about here in the second segment. Joe Lenardi updated his recent ESPN bracketology report. I was very curious to see what he would do with Gonzaga and St. Mary's following St. Mary's's come from behind win over Gonzaga on Saturday. We got to relive it. I'm sorry. We just got to talk about it a little bit more. Uh, I was very curious to see if that move would be enough for St. Mary's to get a higher seed than Gonzaga. And the answer is no. The answer for right now, at least is no Gonzaga was and the recent, this came out on the 7th of February. So as you're listening to this on the 7th or the 8th, whenever you're listening, this is the latest bracketology report well after Gonzaga's loss to St. Mary's. Gonzaga's a four seed, and they're a four seed in the West region playing in Las Vegas. That's a pretty good draw. That's a pretty good draw. I would be really, really happy if the Zags got a four seed in Las Vegas. I think considering the circumstances, and look, we, we can talk about Gonzaga's resume. We know the highs and the lows. They really only have one bad loss. The LMU loss is a devastating loss for Gonzaga in terms of their history there how long it had been since they lost lmu etc etc it's not a horrendous loss the way that some other teams have some some pretty ugly losses on their schedule and it's kind of the only bad loss for gonzaga st mary's not a bad loss at all baylor by one not a bad last loss at all yeah they got absolutely waxed by both texas and purdue and the blowout losses are unusual but both those teams are top five teams in the country so you know not exactly bad losses there either so i think Gonzaga's resume is solid. They have the win over Xavier. They have the huge win over Alabama, but it was still a little surprising to me to see them on a higher seed line than St. Mary's. So again, we'll go go through it here. Gonzaga four seed West region in Las Vegas. The latest bracketology from Joe Lenardi has them playing 13 seeded Furman Furman is 19 six on the 19 and six on the year right now. Number 87 in Ken Palm would be a fun matchup. I think a a advantageous matchup for the Zags as most four thirteens are, although there have been a handful of four, more than a handful of 413 upsets uh, in college basketball history. So it's not unprecedented in that situation. What I really like about this matchup is what would happen if Gonzaga were to win. They would play the winner of the 512 game. The 512 game in this bracket is Indiana and Drake. I don't know much about Drake. I'm not going to pretend that I do, but I do know a lot about the Hoosiers, and I think this is a pretty good matchup for Gonzaga. Indiana's good. Trace Jackson Davis, one of the best players in the entire country, bar none. He's fantastic. He should be – I mean, he's he probably be ahead of Drew Timmy or at least right around Drew Timmy in the National Player of the Year conversation, especially with his recent performances. He was awesome against Zach Eady in their win over Purdue. Uh, he's been fantastic all season long, but Indiana kind of has a similar – situation to Gonzaga they have a really really dominant low post player who's not much of an outside shooter in Trace Jackson Davis and I mean dominant one of the best in the country and they have an inexperienced inconsistent guard rotation they're led by Jalen Hood a freshman guard who's who's really really talented but who ha- kind of has disappearing acts he had a really horrendous game recently where I think he was like 0 of 11 from the field only had three points in the game like He has kind of disaster performances periodically, but can also be very, very fantastic. I think the matchup of this inexperienced guard rotation and a really, really dominant low post player could be pretty fascinating in a lot of ways. I think it's a decent matchup for Gonzaga. I think they match up fairly well here. They're going to have a hard time guarding Trace Jackson Davis, but who doesn't have a hard time guarding Trace Jackson Davis? I think Gonzaga would put Anton Watson on him and see what they can do, but I think it'd be a pretty interesting matchup. Moving forward on that, if Gonzaga were to win in this bracket, they'd face the number one seed, and I think this is why the bracket is set up the way that it is, is so that Gonzaga can get through those first two games, meet in the Sweet 16 against number one seed, Arizona Wildcats, Tommy Lloyd squad. Zach's fans have been wanting to play Tommy in Arizona for a while. I don't know how many of them have wanted to play him in an NCAA tournament. It makes me pretty nervous because I think the discourse around that game would be pretty darn rough if Arizona were to win, uh, and they're a very, very, very good team. A team that for the record, I think Gonzaga could beat. I do, uh, even though they're a number one seed. I think that they're they're not a great defensive team. I think obviously schematically, there's some things that uh, Gonzaga might be able to pick apart a little bit better because they know Tommy so well. Of course, the flip side works for that as well. So it'd be interesting to see uh, the the sparring match between those two coaches, but. I think this is a matchup that a bracket that's kind of designed to get Gonzaga to a sweet 16 matchup against Arizona. Uh, I think if Gonzaga gets a four seed in Las Vegas, that that fans should be pretty darn happy because I think that's a really, really high end result, especially because St. Mary's did not get that luxury. They got a five seed in the South region. They'd be going to Orlando. If I was a St. Mary's fan and I saw this bracket and got a five seed and I had to go to Orlando for my first round game. I'd be a little frustrated. <laughs> I'm not sure that I'd be thrilled about that. Look, St. Mary's has Some some issues with the resume. It's not flawless. They have a loss to Colorado State. They have a loss to Washington. Those two losses are really hurting them. They don't have a win over Alabama or Xavier the way that Gonzaga does. I understand that. I think there is an argument that Gonzaga's resume right now is better even after losing to St. Mary's. Of course, they have two more times they are going to play each other at least once, probably twice. St. Mary's sweeps, which I don't think is likely necessarily, but if they do, then I think there's there's really no argument at that point. But if they split or, you know, depending how it shakes out here, St. Mary's has an argument to be on a higher seed line or at least a similar seed line to Gonzaga. In this particular bracket, they drew a five seed in the South region playing number 12 seeded Liberty. Second round would be the winner of Xavier and Utah Valley. I would not be happy if I was getting a five seed with my second round game being against Xavier, one of the strongest teams in the country a really really dominant offensive program for Sean Miller and the Musketeers so uh, interesting to see how this continues to shake out as the WC season goes on of course February 25th the big matchup between St. Mary's and Gonzaga again at home in the McCarthy Athletic Center that game will go a long way towards determining where these two teams end up on the seed line come March a couple more quick notes no more WCC teams in the field that's not surprising There's no other WCC teams that deserve to be in the field of 68 right now. Uh, There was four Mountain West schools, though. The WCC versus Mountain West conversation has been a popular one. We've seen many years where they are very comparable. Usually Mountain West maybe has one more team, not always. Last year, I think they both had three, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, But this year, they have four. Now, two of them are play-in games. Boise State and Nevada are in a play-in game in Linardi's latest bracket, while San Diego State is a seven seed and New Mexico is a ten seed. So four teams in the field – Two of them barely in the field, the other two much lower seeds than the WCC. So I think you could make an argument that it's not as far apart as it might seem. Sticking with the West Coast conversation, the Pac 12 has just three teams in the field in this bracket. Uh, Arizona, of course, is a number one seed, UCLA as a number two seed, and then the Trojans of USC as a 10 seed. Does have the Oregon Ducks as one of the first four out, but A continued demonstration of the Pac-12 being extremely top-heavy with two fantastic programs and, quite frankly, not a whole lot else, especially for a Power 5 conference. It's uh, kind of distressing to see them in this situation, especially when you consider that next year, two of those teams, UCLA and USC, are going to be in the Big Ten. Pac-12's got some serious work to do if they want to be legitimate contenders in college basketball going forward. All right, folks, we're going to close out the show talking about one of the wildest stories in the NBA right now, which started because of Andrew Nemhard after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. The NFL playoffs are here. The Super Bowl is right around the corner, and we are so excited about our new sports betting partner for On because they're the number one sports book in America, FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. New customers join today to get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from the money line to the point spreads to player props. Plus, you can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same game parlay. Maybe you like Gonzaga's odds to beat the spread at home against BYU on Saturday. Maybe you like St. Mary's against Portland on Saturday in the Child Center. Either way, bet comfortably on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So basketball fans, don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets, win or lose, at fanduel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All right, segment three, still any patents, still locked on Zags, and we're talking about Andrew Nembhard again, but we're talking about Andrew Nempard through a somewhat different lens than we usually do. I don't know how much you guys have heard this story. It's relatively new. The NBA attempted very strongly to bury this story. They did not publish it until after the Kyrie Irving to Dallas trade happened, happened after Steph Curry was reportedly out for an injury. They kind of tried to, tried to bury this in a really, really busy news cycle, but here's the situation. In a game between the Indiana Pacers and the Memphis Grizzlies, John Morant's father, T Morant, who has quite famously gotten into altercations with players throughout his uh, time as a fan of the Memphis Grizzlies, got into an altercation with Andrew Nembhard. Andrew Nemhard reportedly, at least according to the Gimme Timmy podcast, told him to shut up, effectively. He said, He's just a fan. I told him to shut up. There was an altercation. People kind of got involved. People had to be separated from each other. Uh, One of John Morant's friends was on the court yelling, screaming, got kicked out of the game. Whole big situation there. This is not the first time this has happened. Shannon Sharp, of course, famously got into an altercation with uh, many of these same people, part of John Morant's uh, friend group. So it's happened a couple of times already. And this situation, though, got a lot worse. What happened after this reportedly is that members of John Morant's crew were talking to the Pacers players as they were getting on the bus, standing 30 feet away from them, yelling, screaming, et cetera. These people got into an SUV reportedly alongside John Morant. That's a key part of this story. John Morant was, again, allegedly in the SUV with these guys. They drove slowly past Indiana, play, Indiana Pacers personnel, not players, just people who were working there, I think security guards, various other employees, and they pointed what they are calling a laser pointer out the window at these people. So these people found a red dot on their chest, on their body in some capacity, and they were terrified. I mean, they reported, we feared for our lives. No duh, how could you not fear for your life when a red dot shows up when a slow-moving SUV from really, really irate, angry, screaming people shows up? That's absolutely terrifying. I mean, it's beyond horrifying. Nobody gets paid enough to have red dots pointed at them. So there's this whole story here. Again, it stemmed from Andrew Nempard, which is kind of part of the reason we're talking about it. And John Moran, uh, the, the staff kind of, that people have tried to claim, oh, it wasn't a gun. It was a laser pointer, et cetera. doesn't matter in the eyes of the law, for the record. It's intimidation. It's assault. It's, it's, it's still very, very much against the law to point a laser pointer or any kind of intimidation tactic. Whether it was a gun or not is irrelevant, I guess is what I'm saying. Obviously, it's, not, it's worse. If, it is, if they're actually pointing a gun at them, it's very, very bad. But even if they weren't, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. I bring the story up for a couple of reasons. One, of course, because Andrew Nempard was involved and because Andrew Nempard having a role in what could be a career altering situation for one of the NBA's brightest young stars in John Morant is certainly noteworthy. It's certainly relevant, but also to kind of highlight how Gonzaga has generally, uh, with a caveat there, generally avoided a lot of controversy. The players that Gonzaga has had who have gone into the NBA, now that we're seeing more and more and more than before, it, when it was just one or two guys, of course, it's easy for one or two guys to kind of lay low, avoid the radar, or fly under the radar, avoid kind of controversy. But now, Gonzaga's churning out NBA players left and right. They're churning out NBA players who are, you know, international players. They're turning out NBA players who were transfers who didn't start their career at Gonzaga. They're churning out NBA players from guys who, you know, were for five-star guys, were like top-tier guys who knew they were going to be one and done, knew they were going to be NBA players from the day they set foot on Gonzaga's campus. And regardless, they have managed to have very, very little issues. Of course, Gonzaga has been in the news for negative things. I don't want to gloss over the things that have happened. We know, of course, the Josh Heitfeld star- story was the kind of the big one. It's It was a, a harmless crime. I think that's an important detail here. It wasn't It wasn't violent. Was not violent in any capacity. It got a lot of attention because it was 2007, and people were really concerned about drugs in 2007. That's part of the story here. Um, obviously, Mark Few himself got in trouble, and I don't, I really don't want to gloss over that because I, I, part of this conversation is Mark Few and the staff have done a good job of developing players who turn out to be the kind of people that don't cause a lot of problems. But Mark Few drove drunk last year, and that was a, a significant issue. Again, not trying to gloss over that. But for the most part, they've had other DUI incidences. They've had a couple other things that that are not good. But they don't have people waving guns around. They don't have like they don't have some of these serious issues. And I think that is a testament to this program's ability to develop young men into you know upstanding members of society. You look at the guys in the NBA, DeMonte Sabonis, no issues. He had pedigree. He had you know he came into the program in a little bit different situation because his dad had been such an iconic NBA figure, but still no issues there. Jalen Suggs, no issues. Chad Holmgren, no issues. Corey Kispert, Jolie, Kelly Killian Tilley, no issues. Rui's biggest issue was taking time away from basketball to focus on his mental health. <laughs> it's hard to call that a significant issue. Certainly not a violent issue. Certainly not an issue of immaturity or anything like that. I know some people have kind of spun that story a little bit differently and been like, Oh, he quit on the team. And I don't buy that. I don't believe that. I know he was unhappy in Washington and he did seem to express some of that unhappiness. And I know that that can rub some fans the wrong way, but I don't really see this issue as being something where Rui was, you know, was, taught poorly or developed poorly in Spokane I think he just he he took time away to focus on his mental health I think that shows a lot of maturity and and, and growth and a kind of thing that I'm actually proud to have him be you know affiliated with Gonzaga because he chose to do that in a situation that was you know it was a really difficult decision for him to make uh, Kelly Linnick and Zach Collins are the only other two who they have been in the news for kind of being I don't want to say difficult but like they're they're kind of hardheads, and Kelly in particular. He had the famous incident where he, uh, you know, allegedly punched Kevin Love uh, in the nether regions while going for a rebound. Uh, it looked some people saw it and thought it was intentional, and some people saw it and thought it was accidental. I think my favorite part of that story. Evan Turner, uh, former. Um, former teammate of Kelly Lennox with the Boston Celtics. He came out and defended Kelly to the media by basically saying, oh yeah, he's just a really bad rebounder. That's what happened. Which One of my favorite defenses of all time because I'm sure Kelly was like, yeah, thanks, Evan. I don't really need you telling everybody that I'm bad at rebounding. But, you know, Kelly's maybe got a little bit of a reputation as a dirty player. Zach Collins got a reputation for you know, not getting pushed around. He's, he's going to get out there. He's going to yell at people screaming at Clay Thompson when he was with the Blazers. One of my favorite memories uh, of Zach Collins in particular. But like, again, we're talking about the, this Gonzaga program churning out NBA talent, high level NBA talent, you know, fringe NBA talent, whatever it may be. And these guys are not representing the program negatively at the next level. I'm not sitting here trying to trash Murray State and their head coaches and saying like, oh, they're the reason that John Moran is having it. I don't know the whole situation with John Moran. I'm not going to pretend that I do. Obviously, he's mixed up in some bad stuff. It seems like he's got some friends who are are maybe uh, not the kind of people you should keep around when you all of a sudden have $200 million. I guess that's the best way to put it here. But I think that it's a sign of Gonzaga being able to continue to turn out high level talent without these kinds of controversies around them. A few drug issues. I mean, the DUI is bad. Again, that one's a, a pretty significant one, especially since it's the coach, it's the person who's most responsible, who should be not committing those kinds of mistakes. That one is a serious black mark on an otherwise pretty spotless for the most part, reputation for Gonzaga. And I think that's something that should be celebrated. You look at some of the other programs around the country and, and, you know, they have more issues. Alabama just had a really significant, I mean, a player committed murder effectively or or was involved in a murder. That's really significant. It just happened at New Mexico as well. And gun problems, I'm not going to get into a whole political conversation about guns necessarily, but young college athletes having guns and not being monitored is clearly an issue, clearly something that is causing problems with, with these two instances at Alabama New Mexico. And of course now the John Morant story. And I guess I'm just Glad that Gonzaga has found ways to generally avoid being in the news for super negative things, and I hope that that continues as long as Mark Few is, I mean, as long as Gonzaga is still around, certainly, but I hope that that continues uh, for a long time because it is something that I think for the most part Gonzaga fans can kind of hold their hat on. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Don't forget to check out the new podcast, Locked On College Basketball. Go subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe on YouTube to Locked On Zags and Locked On College Basketball. Leave us a review, a comment, uh, anything that you want to do. We very, very much appreciate it. More fantastic content coming later later this week here on Locked On Zags. Thank you again all for listening and go Zags.